and uh, it's good to hopefully meet you uh, at some point. If you are new and you want to get more connected with our church, uh, inside of the bulletin that you were handed, hopefully on your way in, there's a connect card in there. Fill that out, and uh, that lets us know a little bit about you. It also gets you signed up into our newsletter that we launch every week. Uh, in addition to that, if you're online, all of uh, the sign-up is online uh, as well. So on the webpage that we have, sbctrucky.com, go to the bottom of that. You can fill out a place there and make sure you get uh, the newsletters there as well. So uh, a couple things I want to do before we get into Timothy. So uh, if you haven't been with us, we took a break out of the book of Timothy uh, for Advent, for Christmas time. And we're going to jump back into it. And uh, so if you would turn to Timothy, First Timothy chapter Four. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to highlight a couple things. I've been trying to just put forth uh, before you just things that, that are worth celebrating, especially in such a negative uh, culture that we're in, things that are good, things that God is doing. Uh, many of you have continued to support us uh, as, a, as a church, and so we want to let you know some of those things that your resources are going to and uh, some of the fun things that are happening in the, in the season. So one of the things that's, that we support, one of the ministries we support uh, is, is an organization called Hula Hua Napua. Uh, and Bobby let me know to say, just call it HNP. <laughs> it's one of those things when you start an organization, you're like, it sounds so cool. And then you try to communicate it and you're like, okay, Hua Napua. It's, it's actually on the island of Oahu. Uh, the gal who runs it, her name is Jessica Munoz. And uh, she's actually the daughter of Bobby. Bobby, will you stand just so everyone knows uh, who you are. I know you hate attention, but this is Bobby in the back. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yay for being Bobby. All right. Um, Bobby actually is a tremendous servant of the Lord, and her daughter uh, just grabbed a hold of a passion to reach uh, and help and assist uh, young children who've been trafficked in human trafficking. And so she uh, was able to, on the island of Oahu, to acquire in a beautiful piece of property on Oahu. I've actually had the opportunity to see it. It's a historic building. Uh, and she got the vision to renovate this building, start this organization to help these young girls, uh, and then to house them, to, re, to, to basically rehab them. Because once they've gotten indoctrinated in human trafficking, it's incredibly hard for them to get out of it, and they need that help and assistance. Uh, now, the piece of property is a historic piece of property. It has been a ridiculous amount of money to, uh, to, to make it what it needs to be. She's been at this now for several years. The total number that she's needed to raise, and she's not, she is not a fundraiser, $9 million. So if you have $9 million, uh, um, no, here, here's the thing. She's raised $8.6 million. That's incredible. She's got 400000 more to go, um, and uh, we love her to death. We love what she's doing. She, uh, <clears throat> she's expecting the facility to be done at the end of this month, and they're going to start housing girls hopefully in April. Uh, and so they're getting going, and uh, she actually, just so you know, the house isn't ready yet, so, but she's still pouring into kids and pouring into uh, uh, individuals that need it. She's been pouring into 200 of them, and during the COVID season, they haven't lost one. And that's a really big deal because uh, they were really afraid that they were going to lose some of these girls in the midst of, of shutdown and, and all of the things that we're dealing with with COVID. Uh, and so we, we love her. We want to support her. If you want to support her, uh, you can do it a couple different ways. You can obviously do it through their website. You can do it through Sierra Bible Church. Uh, just put uh, the uh, HNP in there. 
uh, and we'll make sure that it goes, uh, it goes to her. Or if you're online and you want to give online, if you follow the, um, the online stuff, uh, it'll actually give you a place for notes, and you can just put in notes that what it's for. Uh, and we'll make sure that those funds get to her. And then Bobby will be in the back if you have any other questions after the service. If you want to know how uh, to assist and help, uh, like I said, myself and several of the staff this last year, right before COVID hit, we had the opportunity to uh, get a tour of the facility. And I'll tell you what, it, it's going to be uh, an amazing, uh, it is an amazing piece of property, but when it's totally finished and dialed in, it's going to be really good for those, those gals. Uh, and then I told you a couple weeks ago, Joe and Amy Kraft, uh, who have been part of our church for several years, they've been a, a neat family to have because uh, I actually knew them in San Diego when I was uh, pastoring at a church in San Diego, and they were part of the School of Evangelism, and I was part of the School of Evangelism, and, and now they're here, and they live here, and they've been fostering a young girl for two years. Her name's Mackenzie, and I mentioned that uh, a couple weeks ago. On Monday, I got to go into the courthouse and watch McKinsey get officially adopted and have her name changed to McKinsey Craft. Yeah. Super, super cool. Uh, it was just so good to be there. And, and uh, in fact, she had so much support uh, that the, 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 the sheriff in the, <laughs> in the building was kind of worried about us all being in there, you know, we kind of social distance and stuff. And, uh, and then um, they, they were given a Zoom link so other families uh, in the church, there was a, another, another uh, her brother actually got adopted from another family as well. And so they had so much community support, they overshared the Zoom link, which they weren't supposed to do. Uh, and so tuning into the courthouse was like 20 or 30 different people. And we had to spend all this time to make sure that they got the list of people. And, but it just was neat to see inside that courthouse to see uh, Mackenzie, you know, have her official family, her mom, her dad, have her name changed, you know, just, just, man, just seeing the gospel and how Jesus brings us to himself and adopts us into his family, and man, and then to see the judge tear up, and, and for them, to, all of them to see this tremendous church support digitally and physically, just such a good thing. So, Joe, see you in the back there, buddy. Congratulations. We love you guys. Pretty cool. <clears throat> Um, a couple things, too, if you want to get uh, a little more plugged into some stuff, um, if my little clicker will, will work. Okay, there we go. Um, Laura Osnes is here. If you're a lady and you have an opportunity to, to jump in on a study, she also uh, streams this as well. And this is Laura right here. Laura, you want to stand so everyone can see you? Look at her. You're not going to stream Hebrews. Well, this is awkward. Um, <laughs> she'll think about it. If you talk to her afterwards, she's the pregnant lady, and uh, she, you, you do whatever you want, Laura. Just, just. Anyways, there's a great opportunity. Laura's a tremendous Bible teacher, and you're going to participate any way she tells you to participate, but it'll be good. And then um, you come to church. And then uh, we do a, a Thursday nights. This is kind of a night for us uh, where we just spend time praying. Uh, and worshiping. We've been doing this now for a couple months and would strongly encourage you to come because uh, really we need more of the Holy Spirit, need more of, of God's guidance and protection. And we're just leaning in on him in the season. So if you want to join us for that, great group of people doing that next door. Okay? All right. You guys ready to get in the word? Here. I'm going to show you what this is in a minute. Okay? Quick, quick peek. And now it's gone. Um, all right. First Timothy chapter 4. So uh, if you've been part of our church family, you know we have a high value 
for God's word. And so we have a way of doing that on Sundays. Would you stand with me if you have the ability to do so? And if you're at home, would love for you to uh, join in with us as we just honor the fact that God speaks to his people. And we're going to start in verse 6 of chapter 4. <clears throat> if you put these things, verse 6, chapter 4, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That, that's also translated Facebook and Twitter. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds the promise for this present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, but especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Lord, man, you're just so good. I just can feel, Lord, uh, uh, amongst us this morning, your joy and your presence, and I just rejoice in that. Continue to be with your people. Continue to teach us this morning. Mold us and shape us in your image. Strengthen us for the days ahead. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Um, so context for those of you maybe who haven't been with us, Timothy is a young guy. He kind of grew up in a non-Christian home. His dad was a Greek and his mom was a Jew. And so he's kind of a little bit of a divided background. And as a young man, one day Paul comes across uh, his path and Paul and, and, and this young man named Timothy uh, they end up in a friendship. That friendship grows into a relationship where Paul almost becomes like a father figure to him. Paul, in fact, calls him his own true child and true son. Paul leads him to the saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ that many of us in this room have come to know. And then Paul equips him and strengthens him and then plants him in Ephesus and says, you're going to be the pastor of this church. And so now here is Timothy. He's been preaching and he's been teaching and he's been pastoring the people and things get weird in Ephesus just like they've gotten weird here in the U.S. and Paul hears of it and so he writes in this letter and he's reminding Timothy this is what the church is. This is what good leadership is. This is what it looks like to gather. And this is one of the reasons why we as leadership decided to go through Timothy when we did. All the way back when we were outside getting ready to move inside, we believed that we needed to equip our church and our people to know what God calls the church to be. Because we were getting all kinds of opinions from everybody, and still are, of what the church is and what the church isn't, and the church should gather, the church shouldn't gather, the church, church should force masks, and, and all of these different things that have been coming down the pipe. And so we decided as leaders, we're just going to push aside all of the worldly conversation and just ask God what he would call us to do. Now take note of the instruction. Paul is literally telling Timothy that he has to toil and strive, work hard, devote himself, immerse himself. But specifically, initially, what we're being told in the text is that he would devote himself 
to the public reading of God's word. Are you with me? Like, we have to do this. We have to. We have no choice. This is the commandment. Um, I know everyone's in a different place. I'm connected with over 100 churches in Northern California, uh, Utah, Hawaii, Guam, and Nevada. And so our churches in, 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 that I'm connected with, they're all over the board. Some of them have totally shut down. Some of them are open, and some of them are like us. And, uh, and here's, here's the tension that every pastor, as they toil and strive and they work hard, they've got to work through. We've, we've talked about this a little bit before. One side is, and this is just my heart. I think you, got, you guys know this. You've heard me say it probably a million different times. I love seeing people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I like that. And one of the things about being part of this community over the years is, is we've had a decent name in the community, and so that's allowed us uh, some doors into the school, into the hospitals, and all that different stuff. But then on the other side of the coin, the pastor uh, is being told to work hard and to devote himself and, and, and to strengthen the body with much work to disciple the people. That's the big word that's used in Scripture. To teach them who God is. To strengthen them in their faith. That we wouldn't operate in fear, right? And so we've got to teach God's Word. Now, this is why this is a tension, why I mention it as a tension. Because if you want to see people come to Jesus... But you also want to see people get discipled. You have to understand that when you start teaching certain things that God teaches in Scripture, guess what that's going to do for people who don't know Jesus? It's going to be offensive. They're not going to like it. So the pastor has to, the shepherd has to be able to teach in such a way where where we recognize that, that we can't compromise God's truth for the sake of someone coming to Jesus. And some churches have decided, in part, to not be open because they're worried about what that will look like to people who don't know Jesus. And that saddens me. It saddens me because I know that, that, that our culture doesn't understand why we can't turn people away. We can't, and that's basically how we've communicated it, right? The church cannot lock its doors. Like, that's the antithesis of the gospel, I mean, for years, we've, say, we've said as pastors, the, the slogan that was used is, come as you are. Not anymore, <laughs> right? Come hand sanitized, <laughs> come masked, come, you know. And, and so we, we can't turn you away. We can't. Is that going to be offensive to people who don't know Jesus? Yeah. But I think it also will draw people to Jesus. That which sometimes is offensive brings people to the Lord too. And so the tax this morning is about us toiling and striving and working hard for God. Uh, I've titled it, actually, um, I Don't Want to Be a Passive Christian. I got this line from a gentleman that comes to our church. His name is Roberto. And I was trying to figure out how to say his last name, and, and, and I asked the, someone, it's Orantes. you got to roll the R. Roberto Orantes. And he's just a great guy. He's married to a great gal. And they set up a, a, an appointment with me a couple months ago. And they said he had been reading something, listening to some sermons, and he felt like God was calling him to more. And he said, I've got to serve. I've got to do something for Jesus. And he, he just said to me, I don't want to be a passive Christian. You can see it on his face. There's like this worry almost. Like I, I can't sit back and do nothing. And so he's like, where do I start? And he's been doing some Spanish ministry stuff here, which has been great, but he wants to do more on Sundays. And, 
And I, I gave him all these different options, and I said, well, here's the greatest need. The greatest need right now is we've got a ton of kids next door. We don't have enough leaders. And so he looks at his wife, and she looks at him, and they're like, let's do it. So they go next door, and they've been serving uh, every, every week since. And, and so I'd asked him the first week, I said, how's it going? Did you do it? Did you sign up? He's like, we signed up. And I said, because usually we have a schedule. You don't have to do it every single you know, week. Or whatever. And I said, well, how often did you sign up for? Every Sunday. So they're just ready to dig in. And so Paul's encouragement to Timothy in the midst of, of really what is a weird time is to work hard and strive for the Lord. So let's make it personal. Of course, I'll use a personal uh, story that will embarrass me. And let me just first ask the question, when was the last time you really disciplined yourself or something? Like really disciplined yourself. Because, because it's, it's hard to discipline yourself. I have a season that I can think about outside of God where I really, really disciplined myself. And uh, it was when I was doing bodybuilding. I know it's hard to believe that I used to bodybuild, but it's, it's true. And, uh, and so I, I had the, this season. I, I was in the gym. A guy came up to me, said, I think you'd be great at bodybuilding. And if you train with me, you did it all for free. It's not a money thing. He just was a nice guy, and he was ripped and buff. And, and I was in the gym all the time. I, you know, normally, I, I still would be in the gym, but, you know, it's, it's unhealthy to be in the gym right now, I guess. So you, you, you can't go to the gym because of your health, and that's, that's a whole other thing. So, so I, I was working out, and this guy walks to me and says, you train with me. I put you on a diet, and he says, there's actually a show in Reno, uh, and I think that you can compete in the show. I think you'll do really well. Uh, it's about eight weeks out. I can't remember what it was, 12 weeks, whatever it was. But, but you've got you've to do all the things I tell you to do. So I was like, okay. I was young. I, was, I think I had just, just turned 20 years old. And so I was young and, and totally dumb and went for it. And I would get up in the morning, and I did the, reg, the whole regimen, the, the, the whole thing. I, I ate 12 eggs in the morning, a full bowl of oatmeal, half a cantaloupe. A few hours later, I'd eat, eat some rice and two cans of tuna. A few hours later, I'd eat six chicken breasts, some more rice, and a few hours later, two more cans of tuna. Then I'd have dinner, which would consist of either six more chicken breasts or, <laughs> or, <laughs> or a steak. And then before bedtime, I'd have more tuna. And then, and then a, a little later, I'd have a, a, a protein shake. All of this I'm working out. And I'm just pumping myself full of protein. And man, I'm, I'm starting to look really good. And so I'm going for it. And, uh, and so, I, but it got hard. I mean, I don't know if you've, eaten six cans of tuna every day for months on end. The psychological warfare, it's unreal. And I'm sitting here one day and I'm thinking, I can't do this anymore. And, and I'm just struggling, man. But I know, I know that a day is coming where I'm going to stand in front of a bunch of people with hardly anything on and I'm going to be judged on how I ate over the last several months. So I've got to keep going. And so I, got, I, I schemed a plan. I thought to myself, protein shakes, I hate tuna. I'm done with tuna because at a certain point in the diet, you can't mix tuna with anything because you can't have the extra fat. So I got the bright idea to put it in a blender and add some water. <laughs> it tastes exactly how you sound. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was bad. But I, I did it, went through the process, man, I, I labored. 
I worked hard. Uh, in fact, it, it literally is shared with us in Scripture that, that we're all to run a race. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul says, I preach the gospel. And because he preaches it, and he's preaching the gospel, he says, I have no ground for boasting because it's all about Jesus. He says, for the necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. So let's be clear, you got to preach it, right? Verse 24, he then goes and says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to deserve or, or rather to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating in the air but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I might find myself disqualified. Paul says, when he's literally speaking of the Olympic Games, here's somebody who runs, they discipline themselves, and they receive a, a wreath, a little flower around their head. That's what they receive. All of the discipline of an Olympic athlete, even in our day and age, all of the money that they invest, they walk away with a medal, something that will one day perish. And Paul is encouraging us as believers that we would strive and that we would work hard, that we would run in such a way to receive a prize. One of the greatest examples of this is Martin Luther, working hard for the gospel. An example of what a good pastor should be. I love the Reformers. I love the Reformers mainly because, because the Reformers' whole mantra was, it was that we would need to be more scripturally accurate, and more gospel-centered. And that that was going to require us not to just reform the Catholic Church, but for every believer to constantly be reforming. That's why Luther says the life of a believer is a life of repentance. None of us are at perfection. All of us must grow and, and, and strive for that kind of growth in God. And so this picture that you saw a few moments ago, this is a picture of Martin Luther. And he's preaching in his pulpit. That's what literally pulpits would look that way back in the day. Uh, there would literally be some stairs, and the preacher would stand up there to make them. They must have all been short like me, and that's why they, they just they've made themselves feel taller, right? So here's something that's really interesting about this painting. It's a, it actually has a ton of messages in it. First of all, take note of Luther here in the corner. His left hand is where? It's on the text. His left hand is, is on the Bible. And, and Luther was one of the reasons that he helped change Christianity. That we're here because of, of him is because he was the first guy who said, you don't need to know Latin. Anybody should be able to read the Word of God. And so he translated, he put in a little laborious work to translate the text into German. I actually have uh, one of... Uh, a replica of, of the Bible that he translated in German in my office. I can't read it because I don't... I I... Oh, hey. Well, I'll give it to you then. <laughs> Dunk a Shane. Okay, so... <laughs> this, this... Okay. Um, so he's got one finger in the text. His other finger is, is doing what? This is the job of every pastor, by the way. That's the job of every single minister, and it should be the job of every single Christian to have one hand, the mindset the, 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 in the Word of God, but the ultimate goal of all of the text, all of the Bible, 
is to point you to Jesus. Right? And it's, when we look at this picture, we realize, we recognize that Jesus on the cross, we know he's not there anymore because we toil and we strive and we work hard because Paul just told Timothy, because we serve the what? The living God. The alive God. But we have to let people know the goodness of the gospel that, that, that when we see this picture, that is what we deserve. He took the punishment. He took the death. He took the wrath. He was separated from God that we would never feel that separation from God. Again, this is why I love the Reformers, because they've been teaching us for the last 1,500 plus years. You have to be people of the Word, and you have to be people that points to Jesus. It isn't the Word for the Word's sake. It isn't the Word just for good deeds. It's the Word for a deep relationship with Christ Jesus. Now, the painting gets even funner. What in the world are you doing, lady? See, everyone's face is focused on the Christ, except for one. And the purpose of the one is she is looking from the painting to you and asking you, will you join in the gospel? Will you join in the word? Will you join within the church? Will you be a part of this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God? And are you willing to run for it? because our Savior is alive. Now, there's an interesting piece of text here I think it's important to just kind of put off to the side and at least study and look at and say, okay, what does he mean by this? Because in verse 10, it says that he's the Savior of all men, especially those believe he, those that believe. What does that mean? <clears throat> does it mean that God uh, is going to allow everyone to go into heaven no matter what they believe? No, it doesn't mean that. There's actually two terms theologically that are important, I think, for Christians to know. One thing called common grace, the other one called effective grace. Common grace is the theological teaching that everyone in the world experiences God's grace, Christian or not. It's not common in the sense that, that, that there's nothing special about it, but that common grace is that we all are breathing God's air right now. That's grace. That all of us are experiencing nature when we go outside, that's God's grace because that's his nature. Right, one pastor says it this way. Everyone who is alive that curses God does so with the breath that God gave. Everyone that argues against God does so with the mind that God gave. Everyone who lusts does so with the eyes that God made. Everyone who steals does so with the hands that God made. Everyone that is arrogant, proud, selfish, self-consumed, narcissistic, and wicked have taken the life that God gave them the creation that God gave them to enjoy, they've manipulated it and used it so that they would become their own God. The fact that we are not wiped from the face of the earth right now because of that is common grace. That's the grace of God. You have eyes, you have ears, you were born, you're not experiencing his wrath right now, that is common grace. And what's effective grace? Effective grace is when the intervention of Jesus comes into your life where God intervenes in some way, and I believe that deeply, that when Jesus saves his people, he does so with an intervention, right? I mean, how many of you were just sitting around and then one day God said, hey, I mean, this is where the Bible says no one seeks after God, nobody. 
Nobody's running around going, I'm looking for God, I'm looking for God. No, God has been looking for you. And then you hear his voice, and you hear who he is, and he saves you. And he becomes not just your common grace savior, but the savior of your soul for all eternity. Okay? So it's just important for us to recognize that not everybody is saved. People need to hear the gospel. They need to have someone like Luther preaching from the word, pointing towards who he is, because the Bible says that how will they believe unless they hear, and how will they hear unless someone preaches? So this is a call to action for us, right? And then what does Paul say? He says in verse 11, take, take a look here, command and teach these things. Paul is telling Timothy certain things have to be taught. And this is one of them. Paul, you've got to teach your people. And there's two basic categories in what I've just read. Number one, you have to teach to everyone that God is good. Even in a dark world, man, you've got to teach God is good. And number two, you have to especially teach that God is even better to those who believe. God is good. He's good to all of mankind. But man, if you are a child of God, he treats you like a child of God. Isn't that good news? <clears throat> so what does Paul do? He says, listen, Timothy, you got to teach. You got to know your Bible. You got to have your finger on it. You got to know it. You got to know good doctrine. He, he says it to Timothy. This is why I get a little frustrated when sometimes churches are like, well, we don't like those words, doctrine, theology. I'm like, doctrine's in the Bible. That word's in the Bible. Like God is telling us specifically, you got to teach these things. You got to know what you believe and why you believe it because when trials and tribulations come, what you believe and why you believe it keeps you grounded. Amen? That's how you get through hard times because you know what you believe and you're grounded in it. You're rooted. You're anchored. Now, what's interesting is, is Paul could have just stopped there with Timothy as a leader. He said, Timothy, you know what? You want to be a good preacher? You know, work on your public speaking skills. Man, I mean, <laughs> I, I try to develop my preaching craft. You'd be amazed at the kind of things that are focused on for preachers and teachers. Right? What do you do with your hands? Where do you stand? How much do you move? Do you tell jokes? You've got to start with a story. If I've read enough preaching books, I know when I hear other preachers what preaching books they've read. <laughs> I can tell because I've read all of them too. And at the end of the day, you realize at a certain point, you just got to be you, okay? You get what you get. You got to be you. But he could have said, okay, you got to work on these things, work on your teaching. You're going to bring people in with your teaching. You, you got to know good doctrine. Make sure you're doing it. You got a new members class. Do all these right things. I mean, some, one of the things that, 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 that really has bothered me in the COVID-19 season more than ever before, and it's, it's both a praise and a bother. More than ever before, you can, you can have access to everybody's church sermon everywhere. So you can compare and contrast, which is kind of a dangerous thing to do. Dude, there is a sad state of the church in the United States right now. I have tuned in to so many different churches, and so many of them are saying the same thing. It's like they all went to the same seminar. It's like they all went to the same place and they had the same people tell them to do the same thing and this is what you got to do and this is, and, and, and man, I am so thankful for the teaching I received in San Diego because I, I was drilled into me. Do nothing else but just teach the word. You don't got to worry about your programs. 
You don't got to worry about all the bells and whistles. You don't need fog and smoke. You don't need an attractive worship pastor. Sorry, Brad. You're a good-looking guy and all, but... You don't need to have those... You don't need to have a tall, dark, Saul-looking preacher. You got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Word of God. That's what you got to do. Now, now he could have just said... He could have said, go to those seminars, Timothy. You know, do that. You got to go to those seminars, and, and you got you to make sure you're, you're reading the right books. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with Timothy at doctrine. He doesn't stop with Timothy with his theology, his gospel centrality. No, as a good father in the faith, for his good son in the faith, he begins to reach down into Timothy's heart. And what does he say in verse 12? Don't let anyone despise your youth, Timothy, but set for the believers an example. And then he digs deep into his own personal life, the life of Timothy. He says to Timothy, your speech has got to be good. Your conduct has got to be good. You've got to be loving. You've got to be a man of faith. And you have to have purity. Now, I'm a pastor, right? This is what I do. And all of a sudden, I read this, and I go, okay, Jess, how are you doing at your speech? How are you doing in your conduct? Do you love your people? And I go, man, Lord, uh, can I go sell cars? I know I'm a parent, right? And as a parent of four kids, you think about speech. My kids, they, they, they can say some mean things to their siblings. I'm constantly trying to tell them, you know, you've got to see that your brother and your sister is made in the image of God, and if you speak bad about them, you're speaking bad about God. Like, you can't do that. My kids all yell. Have you ever done this? You find yourself, I mean, seriously, all my kids yell, and I find myself doing this. Stop yelling! And then I realize, oh, maybe that's why they're yelling. Because I yell. Everyone yells, and everyone's yelling that no one should yell. We're a house full of hypocrites. And Paul tells us, I'm sorry, later, James tells us in the book of James that man has literally tamed every animal there is. You can tame any animal. I mean, I've seen some YouTube videos of people training their cats. That's a miracle. (laughs) But man has been able to tame cats. It's like Jesus walking on the water. Impossible. But he says, but no one has ever yet been able to tame the tongue. For out of one part of the mouth, out of, out of the same heart, out of the same well, he says, we praise God. How many of you have been guilty of yelling at your kids or your spouse or your wife on your way to church and then singing when you're in it? How many of you have been guilty of singing in church and then when you're driving home, someone cuts you off or someone's driving too slow? Right, we're all guilty. And, and so, but, but, but Paul is telling us, Something. He's telling Timothy something. He's telling us something. He's saying, listen, if, 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 you, if you're going to be the Christian that you want to be, you've got to work on your tongue. You've got to work on the things you say to speak the truth. Speak things that build people up. Don't slander. And he pushes on. Have good conduct and love. I mean, one of the things that I'm thankful for, especially from Pastor Wayne as an example for so many years as the lead pastor here, your pastor should... Know who you are. And he should love you. He should know you. He should want to have some kind of a relationship with you. 
Now, there's a lot of you in this room. Several of you are online. More people were in the first service and online in this, the first service. I can't know everybody super intimately. That's why we have a team of an amazing group of people. I mean, our staff works hard during the week. Something you don't see in the office is how often we mention, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Have you talked to so-and-so? Have you heard so-and-so? Do you know this person's in the hospital? Do you know this person needs to be reached out to? And it, it, is a, it is toilsome, and it's work, but it's worth it. You want to know why it's worth it? Because he's living, and he's God, and he's good. Right? Because take note that, that as Paul, even though he's saying, listen, your personal character matters, you've got to have great faith, which means you've got to be willing to take some, some risks for God on occasion. You've got to be willing to do some crazy things for the Lord. He's pressing in, but one thing he's not doing, one thing he's not doing is he's definitely not saying, work hard for God so that God will favor you more. Right? There's still Christians in our church. You might even be here this morning that, man, they, they tithe and they serve. They're in children's church. They're on the worship team or, or they're, they're, they're helping in, in one of our WANA programs or whatever it might be. And, and man, they do all of these things for the Lord because, because man, I want God's blessing on my life. I got to work hard because I want God's blessing in my life. It's almost as if they see God as, as a sort of transaction. <laughs> hey, God. You know, I did all these things this week, right? I sure could use that promotion, you know, since I tithed and all. You know, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. See, God has worked hard for you. I mean, the amount of, of work and labor that Jesus put into the work that he did to be perfect to live a life of perfection, let alone to, to, to work through the, the process of as the lamb is led to slaughter as silent, that Jesus didn't say a word as he was murdered and crucified and beaten and whipped. He worked hard. And then we see that as we go back to, just because it's just so good, more plugs for Hebrews, Laura, just so you know. Um, man, that, that image... So we go back to what Jesus has done. He, he's taken our place. He's, he's done everything that's necessary for salvation. As he died on the cross, what were his last words? It's finished. You know, another way that you could say it if Jesus wanted to say more words on the cross is you don't have to work for your salvation anymore. You don't have to strive and toil to be close to me because I've done it all. The work is finished. And so why do we work hard now for God? It's an act of worship. We do it because it's an act of worship. It's because we recognize, man, look what he did for me. I, I've got to be a part of that. I mean, that's literally how I became a minister of the word of God. I saw how God changed my life and blessed me, and it had nothing, nothing to do with anything that I did. I tell people, they go, how did you become a lead pastor? Well, I just kept coming to work. I, I just kept serving the Lord. I just kept doing the things that God called me to do. Preach the word, preach the gospel, build disciples, reach out to people who don't know him. And then God did everything else. Because that's what God does. You know the greatest and hardest work we can do for the Lord? 
mean, hopefully maybe at some point in the message you, you, you're feeling this, this, this love of God, this protection of God, that, that he's done something great and amazing for you. You know that he's intervened in your life and, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to be a passive Christian. I want to do something more for Jesus. You want to know the, the number one thing you can go do to start working for God? Scripture says, be still and know that I'm the Lord. How hard is it to sit still? I'm amazed you guys can sit through a 40-minute message. <laughs> Seriously, it blows my mind. Because we're all so distracted and consumed. We're attached to our phones and our TVs and our screens and our tablets. It's just incredibly hard to just sit there and know that he is God. You know, another way of saying that is, is Paul saying to Timothy and, and the rest of Scripture says it over and over again, why are you so scared? Why are you so anxious? Why, why are you so filled with angst? Haven't you sat with me and just known that I'm God? that I'm in control? Do you know that God holds everything in his hands? But he specifically holds the believer in his hands. And he says in Scripture that no one can snatch you out of God's hands, that your salvation is secure, that your relationship with God is guaranteed, and it is not dependent upon anything that you do. You know why I want to work hard in ministry? Because I'm just so thankful. And that he's worth it. I mean, one of the things that was hard during, and it was hard for Brad too in this season. How do we just slow down? I mean, we just wanted to keep doing stuff for the Lord. Go to the trunk or treat, go do stuff in the community, hand out boots. I mean, we just want to do stuff, do stuff, do stuff, do stuff. We're doing it for Jesus. And then don't do anything. And then all of a sudden we had to realize, okay, what's important? It's been healthy for me. I think it's been healthy for our staff. To a degree where God said, do less, get back to the word. Get back to the gospel. Don't complicate it. Just keep talking about Jesus. There's two categories here. Two more categories that we need to work on. Number one, to live a godly life to be a godly person, to look like Jesus. And then number two, be a biblical Christian. Be somebody who desires to love God's word. As Again, as I told you, as we do these things, as our buddy Roberto reminds us, I don't want to be a passive Christian. Let me close with verse 15. Verse 15, he then says, practice these things. And immerse yourself in them. I think of like swimming. You've got to dive in. You know, you guys have one of the fun, and I say that completely sarcastic, about being a pastor in the public eye is everyone gets to know your life, you know. It's, well, if you're open about your life, which I am, so. But here, here you know, I'm a, I love working out. I've always loved working out. I don't bodybuild anymore, obviously, but. And, and he says in the text, he says, hey, listen, working out is good. 
But it's just for this world. It's only good for this world. You don't get to take your abs to heaven. Okay, your biceps stay here. But he says it is good. He does connect physical exercise with connecting with spiritual, but he says if you exercise spiritual, these things will last for eternity. It'll last forever. So you've got to exercise within your faith. Be physically fit for your faith. And, and so, you know, before COVID, man, I was in the gym all the time. And all of a sudden, everything shut down, right? Everything shut down, including the gym, for at least three months. And in three months, I gained 20 pounds. Do you know how easy it is to do that? I mean, seriously, it's so easy. All you have to do is eat and not move so much. And it just, man, there's no discipline in it. But I wasn't exercising, eating, you know, trying to work through all stuff with the church, and then the gym opened. I got back in the gym, man, and, and at first, right, and I, haven't, I hadn't worked out that way in a long time at first. Whew. Whew. Man, are you sore. Right, you know, have you ever heard of what, of DOMS? Anyone heard of DOMS? Delayed onset muscle soreness. Anybody who's never worked out, when you work out, you'll know you get DOMS. Delayed. It's like the next day you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Like, right, you work out on Monday and Tuesday, you're like, yeah, I'm sore, yeah. And then delayed, delayed onset muscle soreness. And then Tuesday hits, like Wednesday hits. Oh, oh, I can't do it anymore. Uh. I literally, I had a buddy of mine did the curls. He couldn't, he couldn't. Delayed onset muscle soreness. And then eventually, you st- oh, man, the gym was open long enough where I started, started losing some weight, started getting my strength back, started feeling good, feeling like a million bucks. And then, and then someone came along and said, we need to keep you healthy. Shut it down. No more gym for you. Now the gym shut down. And, and I was gaining momentum. I was seeing progress. And now I'm fighting again to try to work out at home and all that. And, but here's what happens, man. When you, when you exercise physically, anybody who's ever done it, you know, man, you start working out. And it's hard at first. It's not fun. It can be difficult. It can be a grind. But then when you start seeing the weight fall off, you start seeing strength gains, right? You go, oh, man, this is, this is, this is getting funner. This is more enjoyable, right? I'm enjoying this. And it's the same thing that happens. Some of us have been really passive in our faith over the last several months. Not gathering, not reading, not praying. There, are, there, was a, there has been a huge drop-off on people who've been watching online. Not just for our church, every church across the board. So people are saying, well, we got to be safe and we're still gathering at home. No, you're not. I know you're not. Some of you still are, and I'm thankful for you. But the numbers have proven that if you're not back in the building, most of you aren't doing anything at all. And I know that's for, for nobody who's listening, because the people who need to hear it aren't listening. <laughs> right? So it's not like trying to make you feel guilty, but that's just the reality of what's happened. But once you start, and some of you have, right? When we went outdoors and, and we were flooded with like 450 people outside, that was the momentum we needed to be able to come back inside. Because people got a taste. This is what worship sounds like with a bunch of people. This is how singing strengthens me. This is how hearing the word of God in person changes my life. And all of a sudden, many of you had to have more. You needed it, you wanted it, you got a taste of it. And you know that if you walk out and don't come back, it's going to be harder to come back. 
And so what is Paul's final instruction? Persist. Practice it. I've heard people say, we're still gathering online. Like I said, that's not necessarily happening for a lot of people. There's certain things that we have to do that require practice. I'm a sports guy, so sports makes a lot of sense to me. When you practice, you get stronger. And when you gather and you worship and you hear singing, man, it is, it, there's something that happens that is just the Holy Spirit, that when you're in a room full of believers, you feel strengthened. That will never happen in isolation, ever. I'm sorry, it won't, and it, it just can't. And I understand that there's a season where some people need to be isolated, and I don't want them to feel guilty. But I firmly believe that Scripture teaches us there's something about the gathering of the saints and hearing the preaching of God's Word and worship and singing together that strengthen our souls that just won't happen otherwise. It won't. And I'm thankful that many of you have chosen to not live in fear thankful for that. And I know many people who are online, they're not living in fear. They're practicing what they deem to be the best fit for them. And I don't judge them for that. But I firmly believe that God does something very beautiful within the gathering of God's people. Being together and seeing your faces is such a good thing. So I'm thankful that I get to preach to you and not just the camera. Camera never smiles at me. Amen? As the worship team comes up, we're going to partake in communion um, together. So if you're at home, I uh, encourage you to grab some elements. Uh, I know if you may be home, you may have some access to wine. would encourage you to not drink the whole bottle, okay? Uh, drinking's up if you're staying at home right here. So nothing wrong with wine for communion. But Jesus, <clears throat> before, before dying on the cross, he first prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he labored in prayer to the point that Scripture says he literally was sweating blood. And prior to that, he sat down with his disciples, and he shared with them a meal that the Jewish people have been practicing for hundreds of years. And for hundreds of years, the Jewish people thought that this Passover feast was all about the Exodus. It was about leaving Pharaoh and going into the Promised Land. And then Jesus sits down at that meal, and he takes this meal that has meant one thing for hundreds of years, and he tells them, actually, this meal isn't about the Exodus from Pharaoh. It's actually about the Exodus from sin. And I'm that Exodus. I am the sacrifice that causes the Passover, the judgment of God, to not take you out. And it's amazing to me to think that he gave his body on our behalf. And at that meal, he said, same thing that he's saying here, as often as you partake, practice this. My friends, this is something in the church, along with baptism, that we're to do as often as we can. And I would encourage you this morning, if you would be willing to just take that step of faith and say, God, I want to keep pressing into you. We're going to partake here in a moment. Would you stand with me?
Lord, we, um, we come before you and we thank you that you allowed your body to be beaten and bruised so that we could experience the peace of God. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you did what we couldn't do. We partake of this bread now, Lord, in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, you may partake. Then, Jesus took the cup. And in that cup was wine. And he said, this cup, within this cup, represents my body, my blood, sorry, sacrificed for you. I was thinking about this concept, this idea of blood, actually, as a young child. I would have these night terrors. Shortly after, my mom became a Christian, and, and um, she'd come into the room, and she would pray with me, and she would tell me, Jesse, you're okay, you're okay, you're covered by the blood of the lamb. And I, as a young kid, in my mind, I, I thought of it like, you know, like some kind of Star Wars force field or something, you know. Somehow I was guarded and protected from the enemy because of the blood of the lamb. And it is that way. Jesus' blood it covers us, metaphorically. That he shed his blood, his innocent blood, his perfect blood, to cover us so that we are seen as pure and white as snow before God the Father. One of the things that amazes me about God, it amazes me that, that we don't have to work hard, that he worked for us, that we would then work hard out of grace, that there's no amount of work that we could ever do to earn his love, but he did all of the work that is necessary. You know, Jesus is still working hard for you. I mean, it blows my mind that, that right now, right now in heaven is Jesus sitting next to God the Father. And upon his lips is your name. He's praying for you. Imagine that concept that in all of the universe, all of the cosmos, all of the stars, God is in heaven praying for you by name. He's saying to his father, guard them, protect them, be in their home. He's doing what you'll never be able to do. None of us know how to pray as we ought, do we? And so Jesus is even now working hard on your behalf because he knows that no pastor can do what he can do, that you can't do what he can do, that he's covered you by the blood of the lamb, and that he's your guardian and he's your protector. So we always look to him. Lord, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for your sinless blood, Lord. And as we partake, may we feel your guarding, your protecting over our lives. In Jesus' name, you may partake. We love you. We deeply appreciate you, whether you're here or whether you're online. May you have a week that is just filled with the grace of God. And would you press into his heart and would you work hard for the gospel that more people like you and like me, sinners in need of grace, would come to the, the, the knowledge of who God is. He is good and he is worth it for he is the one and only living God. Amen. God bless you. Nothing of our efforts and no legacy survive Unless the Lord does raise the house and make His builders strive To you
those tomorrows be. Tell me, what is your life from this? 